Hello and Happy New Year to all our listeners from the Long Short team. We are delighted to be back for another year, but before we jump into today's episode, just a quick announcement to say that we are adjusting our content calendar going forward so that we will now have all our episodes in two seasons, one in the first half of the year and one in the second, with a short summer break in the middle. This will allow us to be more targeted in the topics that we focus on and also launch a few products around the episodes, which we will reveal more about later. And with that said, then, let's jump into the first episode of this year. Arguably, the most talked about area of the hedge fund industry today is the multi-manager model, fastest growing sector in the hedge fund industry. And it's attracting its fair share of headlines with investors and media enamored by the major players in this space and the shakers and movers in the space at large. Some commentators have suggested that they may be facing a moment of reckoning So no better time then to give this topic the long, short treatment. We are therefore delighted to be bringing back someone who has been immersed in this topic for a good long while now and has done some really interesting research about how the multi-manager model is evolving. That's right. Freddie Parker is the co-head of Prime Insights and Analytics, capital introduction at Goldman Sachs. And together with his team, he has authored many papers on the alternative investment space, including, as you say, Drew, two research pieces on the multi-manager model. Freddie, welcome back to The Long Short. Thanks, Tom. Great to be back. So, Freddie, first question from me then. What is the hedge fund multi-manager model? Yeah, it's a great question. We obviously so much uh, talked about the space, I think, uh, helpful to to define. From our perspective, um, we view multi-manager platforms as as having a few defining characteristics. Um, I think the first is clearly um, that you have multiple autonomous risk takers. Um, They tend to be, uh, they tend to then have capital allocated to them centrally. There tends to be a fairly stringent risk management framework applied to them. Um, And then beyond that, um, these tend to be, from a portfolio construction perspective, reasonably high gross low net exposure frameworks. Um, And on top of that, I guess the other defining characteristics in many cases but not all would be the use of, of pass-through fees or the pass-through expense model, um, which we can also talk about in a little bit more detail later. But um, in essence, we see those as being really the, the sort of core defining characteristics of the multi-manager model. The term multi-manager does get confused by the term multi-strategy. Um, so what's the distinction there? Uh, you know, the multi-manager, it's a sub-strategy of the multi-strategy universe? Yeah, I like to think of multi-manager as being really a uh, a horizontal within the hedge fund industry. It's really a style of investing versus a strategy. So actually, as well as certain multi-strategy managers that apply a multi-manager model, um, it also gets used in other strategies. So there are multi-manager equity funds. There are multi-manager macro funds. Um, so we, we tend to think of it more of a sort of horizontal within the industry rather than a strategy vertical. And as you mentioned, this is something that's become increasingly talked about, uh, if not uh, only this year, then in, then in several years. And so could you just give us a sense of the rise of sort of the multi-manager universe? And could you maybe put some numbers as to, to, to give people a sense of, you know, what are we talking about now? Yeah, so it's, it's a universe of um, somewhere in the realm of call it 40 to 50 firms, depending on uh, depending on how you cut it. And there's, there's obviously a little bit of debate around the definitions. Um, 
those firms collectively, we estimate, account for about $370 billion um, at, the, at the midpoint of this year. Um, the growth has been pretty meteoric in recent years. So the, the sort of tipping point when you started to see this, this growth wave really take off was around 2017, 2018. And what you've seen since then has been um, an, a compounded annual growth rate of about 20%, when, for, for reference as a, as a point of comparison, the rest of the hedge fund industry has been growing at around uh, one to two percent per annum. So really a very, very different growth rate um, and um, uh, clearly has been one of the, the bright spots, I'd say, of, of growth within the hedge fund industry as a whole in recent years. And this has been reciprocated, of course, by the strong interest that we read about in terms of allocators looking at the multi-manager space as well, right? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, obviously, if, if there's increasing interest and increasing growth, and that has to come from somewhere here. So could we just take this question from the investor's perspective and, and could you just lay out the chief advantages and, and maybe some of the disadvantages of what, as well of allocating to a multi-manager over a traditional single manager hedge fund? And if I could just ask, uh, as an addition to that, would there potentially be a different answer depending on the size or the type of the investor? So uh, broadly speaking, I think if you were to... Um... To, to sort of sum up in, in one word the, uh, the, the sort of defining uh, reason behind all the interest from investors, it would be performance. Um, ultimately, I think the, um, the interest in the model has, has been driven by the strength and quality of the returns delivered by this segment as a whole um, o- over time. Um, and what we see, I think, as we look at this, um, this, this universe is uh, particularly the, the low vol uh, and the diversification characteristics of the return stream being what investors prize very highly. So um, th- there's that dimension. And then I guess there's also some, let's say, more inherent uh, characteristics of the model, which I think investors like. So the first is there is uh, a perception amongst investors that these firms have uh, particularly strong risk management uh, frameworks or, 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 or qualities. Um, beyond that, I think this is a model in which uh, that there is a view that there are real barriers to entry and perhaps ways that don't exist in other areas of the hedge fund industry. So with that, I think, comes a potential for more durability of returns. Um, these firms also have uh, access to a lot of the best talent in the hedge fund industry. And uh, as they've grown and as they've drawn in talent, I think one of the things that's happened is investors have, have uh, come to the conclusion that if you want to have access to the broadest cross-section of talent that's available within hedge funds broadly, it's, it's difficult to avoid having exposure to these firms. Um, and then beyond that, um, the, the diversification and the number of uh, risk takers they have means that they also have the, the ability to um, firstly pivot dynamically between different strategies and, and, and opportunity sets, but beyond that, also maybe provide investors with access to more niche or esoteric strategies, which work as you know, one within in many of a, a multi-manager construct, but might not be so appealing as a, as a standalone allocation. So if you add up all of those things, I think um, there's, there's, there's lots of, uh, of different um, uh, sort of individual characteristics which, which investors prize highly. But I think uh, it's hard to look too far past the, the fact that the, the output of these managers in terms of the, uh, the return characteristics has been so strong for, for, for really an extended period of time now. Freddie, can you explain the mechanics of how the multi-manager generates a return for the fund? So, you know, put myself in in the shoes of being an investor here. Um, You have explained that there's multiple pods working for the fund. 
But how does that all translate into the performance being delivered by the fund at the end of the month? Yeah, so the way I would think about it is this. You, you've got uh, lots of underlying return streams, um, and each return stream tends to be very specialized. So the individual PMs or pods in these structures have a very clearly and generally quite narrowly defined mandate. Um, it is very focused uh, on alpha as a mandate. So generally speaking, uh, the risk takers within these structures are focused on delivering uh, highly, highly idiosyncratic returns. Um, and beyond that, um, it's then a case of utilizing the inherent advantages of diversification. So if you have lots of individual risk takers, each of whom has generally a low correlation to the other risk takers, and of course, if you're focusing on high alpha and high, uh, high level of idiosyncratic returns, then you, you tend to have a high level of diversification. Um, the diversification in and of itself suppresses the volatility. Um, beyond that, you also apply uh, reasonably stringent risk management practices to those uh, those individual pods. So you try to cap the downside that any individual PM can deliver. Um, and then the vol suppression driven by the diversification needs to be offset by leverage to get the return up to a, uh, a reasonable level for investors. So it's really this combination of diversification plus risk management plus leverage. And how adaptable is the multi-manager model to rapidly changing market conditions that you know we've experienced recently? Yeah, so I think the, um, the, the thesis is, of course, if you have all of these uh, diversifying underlying return streams, you should be able to benefit from the fact that at any given point in time, some of these return streams should be working. Um, and hopefully the, uh, the, the way that you risk manage allocate capital uh, and apply leverage should, should enable you to, within these models, amplify the returns of, of the pieces that, that are working. Um, I think beyond that, uh, you know, if we speak to the, the success that these managers have had through recent times, I think it is indicative of their ability to deliver in rapidly changing market conditions. And I think this also comes back to one of the, the points around what do investors really prize around, around this model, um, which is the ability of these managers to protect uh, capital in down markets and turbulent markets, uh, and in some cases actually generate absolute returns. So um, if you sort of go back through the major episodes of market correction of the last seven to eight years, what you generally saw was in periods of, um, let's say, equity market downside, Whereas hedge funds as a whole were generally capturing around a third to a half of that downside, uh, multi-managers were really on average capturing uh, none of the downside. And, and, and our research indicates actually very slight positive return on average through those, those periods of turbulence. So it seems to indicate that this model actually is pretty uh, adept at navigating through those, those moments of, of, of maximum turbulence and, and difficulty in markets. And so you've summed up the, the risk management and, and the downside protection aspects of the offering. Uh, but you mentioned earlier that the clear mandate, as you would imagine, is alpha generation. So can you just walk us through the evidence to suggest that multi-managers do generate alpha better than single managers are able to? So uh, from the research that we've done, um, the uh, and I think this sort of comes back to the point around sort of quality of returns. The multi-manager universe as a whole um, has, let's take the last five years as an example, uh, delivered an annualized return 
um, slightly above or more or less in line with traditional multi-strats uh, and fairly uh, f fairly uh, decently above hedge funds as a whole. Um, they've done so with low volatility. Um, they have minimal correlation to equities, which should suggest um, that the uh, that the, the model is is delivering something that's that's reasonably focused on alpha. Um, and they have minimal to no. Uh, it's it's pretty close to zero beta in terms of the output to equities. So the uh, the, the sense we have is that the you know the higher return, it's a lower volatility return. Uh, and it's done so with lower beta, if you then compare that to um, hedge funds as a whole, uh, we generally see them having maybe a 30, 20, 25 to 30% uh, sort of beta to, to markets. Um, that's if you look at the, the underlying hedge funds rather than sort of aggregating them, them up into, into indices, which generally have, have higher correlations with markets. Um, but what, what it would seem to suggest is not only are the returns uh, better amongst the multi-managers, or at least they have been over the last five or so years, um, but beyond that, a higher proportion of those returns are, are alpha rather than beta. And you can't have alpha without having the best people. And there have been many, many column inches written about the war on talent across the alternatives industry, and in particular, how competitive the war of talent is in the multi-manager space. So what can you tell our listeners about this? So this is probably the, uh, the biggest talking point of, of the multi-manager uh, discussion, and, and uh, clearly one, as you say, that's, that's generated a lot of attention from, from around the industry. Um, the curiosity or the, one of the, the, the sort of uh, particular characteristics of this model is that the multi-managers, when they grow, they tend to scale their headcount and they tend to scale their investment headcount um, at an almost linear rate with assets. So when they grow, rather than just allocating more capital to their existing PMs, what they tend to do is, is continue to add PMs and, and investment uh, talent uh, at a pretty linear rate. So when you've had the strength of growth that we've seen uh, in terms of assets and the demand from investors um, and the, the, the growth in the number of players in the space in terms of the, 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 the multi-manager platforms that are out there, um, what it means is that these firms need to go out and find talent. Um, the rate of, of growth has been, has been pretty um, uh, consistent with, with asset growth. Um, so again, around 20% per annum. Um, overall, we see these firms employing at this point in time about a quarter of the headcount of the hedge fund industry as a whole. Um, what is also, uh, I guess, a sort of particular characteristic of these models is they are intensively headcount heavy to begin with. So um, to refer back to the assets figure from earlier on, that 370 billion or so that we think is the AUM in multi-manager is actually less than 10% of the, the assets of the hedge fund industry. So these firms um, are sub 10% in assets, but they're around a quarter in headcount. So they really have been uh, pulling in a lot of, of, of talent from, from elsewhere in, in the hedge fund industry, from the sell side and so on, um, and, and of course from each other. So there's really a lot of focus on the, um, uh, the, the, the sort of difficulties that are involved in, in acquiring talent at this point in time. And then I would also just mention one further, uh, let's call it a new front in the war for talent, which has become very commonplace in the last uh, couple of years, which is the tendency of many of these managers now to also allocate capital externally. So what we're seeing is via the medium of separately managed accounts, many of these uh, multi-manager firms identifying uh, standalone single manager hedge funds who they can also allocate capital to. They almost view those uh, single manager hedge funds as 
individual pods. They allocate capital and risk manage them accordingly. And again, it's just another uh, diversifying orthogonal return stream that you can add um, and has enabled them to find a new source of talent beyond the simple uh, you know, approach of hiring people to come in and, and work for your firm on an exclusive basis. So how does the, how does the fee model work for your average multi-manager and how does it differ from what people may know more commonly in terms of the the traditional hedge fund fee model and can i just ask you to expand a little bit on your earlier point where you mentioned um the use of the the pass-through fee model as part of that yeah so again this this is really one of the sort of core defining characteristics um of of the multi-manager space as opposed to, to single managers so um most, uh, so we think it's maybe 70% or so of the universe of multi-managers uh, use what, what we generally refer to as, as pass-through expenses or a pass-through fee model, um, whereby they, uh, they pass some or all of the, the costs of the running of their business directly back to allocators. Um, and the reason for this is, is um, deeply entwined with the, um, uh, I guess, the, the sort of discussion around the wolf talent. Because the individual risk takers within these models tend to be paid formulaically on the performance of their own book. So they have a, uh, a, a payout ratio, um, which, you know, you could, you could probably think of as, as akin to a performance fee. Um, our research suggests that um, most of the market for these models now lives in the, the realm of somewhere between 18 and, and 22 percent of the uh, of, of the sort of gross uh, profits generated by the individual PMs, and those PMs um, get paid this uh, this this payout regardless of the performance of the, of the fund as a whole. So this creates a scenario where you have to deal with um, what's commonly referred to as netting risk, which is it can best be thought of as, as the risk that you are going to have to pay individual risk takers. Um, even though, as a whole, the performance of the fund might even be negative. And as a result of the um, lack of correlation between the, the pods, it's a fairly common occurrence that you are um, having to uh, effectively soak up a, an, an even higher uh, level of payout than simply the, you know, let's call it the 18 to 22%, because of the fact that inevitably you will have managers who are down, uh, managers who you know leave the firm maybe because of performance, maybe for other reasons, and so on and so forth. So, effectively, the pass-through model exists as a direct result of the the mechanics and the mathematics of of that structure, um, and it's viewed, I think, increasingly given the the level of uh, of payouts involved as being something that is that's that's actually necessary in order to run one of these businesses successfully. So it's it's very hard um, when you you start to sort of work through the cost structure of these businesses for the manager to live within the confines of a traditional hedge fund fee structure, even an expensive hedge fund fee structure. And so I, you know we we have two and twenty as being the rubric of what hedge fund fees used to be. We obviously know that as a as a whole now uh, the hedge fund industry is is priced somewhat lower than that. But even two and twenty doesn't tend to be a sufficient level of fees for the mechanics of this model to work. So they wind up being more expensive in terms of the fee load if you if you take the total expenses that are paid by the uh, by the investors um, uh, plus the performance fee that they then pay, which essentially is 
um, how the you know the, the house, if you will, um, you know the, the multi-manager firm uh, gets gets paid. Um, but nevertheless, the quality of net returns that these firms have have been able to deliver, I think, has enabled investors to get comfortable with the notion of paying these higher fees. Um, and, and something I think that's that's viewed as um, really just inherent in the model at this point in time and, and difficult to avoid. AMA and the ACC are delighted to announce the return of the Private Credit Investor Forum at iConnections Global Alts 2024, taking place on Monday, January 29th at the Fountain Blue Miami Beach. LPs and GPs from around the globe will come together to discuss the key trends shaping allocator sentiment and the evolution of the asset class. The day will commence with a series of Meet the Allocator roundtables and interactive workshops and moves on to a program that sets the agenda for the industry. Take part in the conversation with leading asset owners and investment managers as they debate what to expect for private credit in 2024. As a sole membership association representing the global private credit market, we look forward to welcoming you to the only dedicated private credit conference during the annual term of investment week in Florida in partnership with iConnections. Come enjoy one-on-one networking and take a deep dive with your peers. See you there. The higher interest rate environment, of course, has increased the risk-free returns available to investors. So, Freddie, is this creating a problem for the multi-manager model in meeting investor expectations around performance? So I don't think there's a, a sort of question that's specific to multi-managers. I, th- I think the, uh, the reality is that higher risk-free rates have changed the entire paradigm for investment across the board. Um, I think every single investment is now being measured against a different yardstick. Um, and that includes hedge funds as a whole, and it includes multi-managers. Um, I think where you start to uh, run into comments that are specific to the multi-manager space as a whole is that um, in a zero-rate environment, many of the multi-managers delivered a return that I think was tacitly or otherwise being used as something akin to fixed income substitution. So you had these managers who were producing a return of, let's call it, 6 to 8% annualized on relatively low vol with low correlation. Um, and I think that was hugely additive to a portfolio uh, in an environment where you had a risk-free rate of zero. Um, obviously, we now have risk-free rates of above five. Um, the other thing that's clearly happened is that the, uh, the appeal from a portfolio standpoint of corporate credit has also significantly increased. And I think a broader question is being asked of investors to hedge funds more broadly of what is the appropriate level of return from hedge funds as a whole in this higher risk-free rate paradigm. Um, What we're hearing, I think, from investors is something in the... By the way, a lot of investors don't actually have an explicit you know, absolute return target attached to their hedge fund portfolios. A lot still benchmark to... Um, uh, some of the, the, the sort of hedge fund industry index providers. So they're really comparing them, their hedge funds against hedge fund industry benchmarks rather than anything absolute. Um, there are certainly some allocators who use a cash plus framework. Um, and generally speaking, from the work we've done, what we see is cash plus 250 to 350 as being the um, the, the, the sort of hurdle that, that investors who, who use that structure have in mind. So in that context, um, 
probably eight to nine percent annualized is is going to be what investors expect on the go forward from from invest uh, from hedge fund investments as a whole, and I think that applies to multi managers too. So, I think for those multi managers that maybe were very well optimized in terms of sharp ratio but slightly lower return, um, likely what will have to happen is that they'll have to find a way to to, to push the the overall return uh, up, ideally preserving the, uh, the 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 high sharp ratio as well. Um, but undoubtedly, the the bar is now higher for re- returns across all hedge fund strategies. And Freddie, that's a, that's a good segue for my next question, actually, which was just to bring in. I think the the only component that we haven't spoken about so far in all of this, which is uh, something that's been again a very big topic this year in in the media and in uh, industry discussions more broadly, and that is to do with leverage and the use of leverage by. Uh, these managers and and how that relates to wider um, understanding of what average leverage levels are. So could you just sort of talk us around this in terms of give us a sense of what, you know, average leverage is when it comes to multi-managers and how that might compare to the wider uh, alts industry and, 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 Maybe if you could sort of do a little bit of myth busting around this, because I know there's a lot of very emotive conversations going on. Yeah. So uh, when we were sort of talking about the, um, you know, the mechanics of this model, I, I think leverage was was one of the things that I'd, I'd view as being um, absolutely key to and inherent to the model as, as it stands. Um, it's really, I would say, the uh, the sort of necessary precondition. Uh, or the necessary offset, let's call it, to the uh, diversification in the underlying return streams. So because you have all of these individual underlying return streams which don't correlate to each other, the natural effect is to massively suppress the volatility of the overall return output to investors. So the individual PMs are actually, specifically because they have so little in terms of exposure to other uh, systematic risk factors, let's call them, whether that's beta or whether it's um, sector exposure or, or, or other sort of risk factors that, that you might get in in other hedge fund strategies, um, the overall level of return that they're being asked to generate is is relatively low by individual hedge fund strategies. So you can think of, um, let's say in round number terms, the underlying PMs being asked to generate a return of maybe 3 to 4% gross on the capital that's allocated to them. Um, there's then obviously the, the offsetting between the individual strategies given the diversification. And you have to then find a way of getting that return up to a level that's actually appealing to investors. And the way you bridge that gap is leverage. Um, so when we've looked at this topic, uh, if you look at multi-strat, multi-managers, um, our research suggests maybe a, a reasonable leverage range of, of five to seven times. Um, now, that's obviously considerably higher than, for example, a single manager equity long short fund, which would generally be run at a, um, uh, you know, let's call it a 1.5 to two times leverage ratio as, as, as being sort of reasonable. Um, but then it's probably also consistent with what you see in other uh, high alpha market neutral strategies. So it's pretty comparable to what you see in, for example, quant or statarb. Um, and I, I, you know, I think you can you can understand leverage as an individual risk factor, um, but in the case of the multi managers, uh, it's an individual risk factor they have more of, 
but then it's it's probably offset by the fact that they have a lot less exposure to other risk factors. So they don't have beta in their returns. They don't have concentration in their returns, and some of the other things that can be um, uh, can create challenges for for returns in in other single hedge, single manager hedge fund strategies. Um, so yes, relatively high leverage is one of the um, inherent characteristics of this model. But I would say um, it's it's an offset to uh, lack of risk in other areas. And I'd say it's also pretty consistent with other sort of very high alpha market neutral strategies. Freddie, this has been a really useful primer. And thank you so much for, for joining us on the long short today. As we said at the start of the episode, you've written a lot about the multi-manager model. But what do you then see as the outlook for the model in the short to medium term? Do you foresee any changes or issues for the multi-manager model? The first thing I'll say is that the investor demand for the model actually still remains pretty robust. Um, so our team are in the habit of surveying investors on a on a pretty regular basis to ask them what their in allocation preferences are, where they're focused in terms of uh, deployment of capital in their portfolios. Um, and within hedge funds, multi-managers remain one of the, uh, the, the top areas of demand. Um, the other one, just for reference, is, is credit. Um, so it's a you know an, another sort of completely different uh, area that's, that's attracting a lot of attention. But in spite of all the uh, the growth and attention that the the investor uh, interest does remain strong, it's certainly tailed off a little bit. Um, so when we compare the results of our year end survey from last year and our mid year survey from this year, we see a very slight uh, fall in the in the net level of demand for multi managers. But it is just that. It's very slight. Um, beyond that, uh, we obviously continue to see uh, new launch activity in the space. So there's there's more players that, that continue to enter the space. Um, and uh, broadly speaking, um, I, I would say there's, there's two cohorts of investors who I think remain very focused on it. Um, one is the uh, the private bank channel. So they, they, from our data at least, seem to be the most enthusiastic buyers of this model. Um, and the other is pension funds, who I think continue to, to highly prize that, uh, that that sort of diversification characteristic that, that multi-managers can deliver to them. Um, with that said, um, clearly there has been a lot of growth um, in the space. And as with everything in the world of, of, of hedge funds and investment, um, these these sort of waves of growth don't tend to be perpetual. They do tend to be uh, they do tend to be waves. So there is a little bit of a, a mean reversing characteristic. And I think at a certain point, it's it's natural that investors will also start to refocus energies and efforts elsewhere. Um, and I think beyond that, um, the other clear challenge that, that that this space faces as a whole is just capacity. And this really comes down to the um, the, the the sort of war for talent question, which is. Um, at a certain point, it becomes incrementally harder to find new sources of uh, return and alpha, which are uncorrelated to what you already own. So um, for the existing multi-managers, um, obviously, they continue to hire, they continue to optimize what they have, um, but it becomes harder and harder as they grow to to, to continue to be able to do that. Um, and there, there's obviously a, a ceiling to the amount of, uh, of, of investment talent that, that can, can exist in the world. So I think at this point in time, we, we may be sort of approaching the point where capacity becomes harder and harder to source in the model. Um, and, and I think that's one of the challenges that the investors face at this standpoint, which is, uh, oh, sorry, at this point in time, um, which is that, um, you know, the, the, the model as a whole uh, may remain very much in favour, but actually sourcing capacity if you want to deploy capital into the model um, is is becoming harder. Um, so I think ultimately, um, you know, the the, uh, the the sort of mania that we've seen in terms of allocation to this space 
um, is unlikely to, to, to continue at the current levels, at least from um, the, the, the indications that we've seen. Um, but nevertheless, I, I would um, uh, reiterate that I think it's something that investors still have a lot of enthusiasm for. And, and just before we let you go, just to, to follow on from that a little bit, you, you've, you've mentioned before that uh, the risk-free rate being at you know five percent or whatever is is um, potentially made the proposition more challenging um, for multi managers and, and for asset managers more broadly. So, would you say then that given in some quarters there's already conversations about when the first rate cut's going to be and and when we'll sort of return to pre-COVID conditions? Would that level be one of the main indicators that you would look at for demand for multi-strat allocation, or is it slightly more complex than that? I think it's a little more complex than that. Um, I, th- I think also um, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a, a macroeconomist, but it, it seems from what I can see at least that um, we're not going back to a zero rate environment. So I think we all have to um, you know re- re- acclimatize to the notion of of somewhat higher risk free rates going forwards. Um, there is nothing to suggest. I'll make this comment for multi managers, but it's it, it holds true for hedge funds as a whole. There's nothing to suggest that inherently high rates are a bad thing. Um, actually, quite the opposite might be true. Um, so firstly, there's the, the basic mechanics of uh, how rates interact with hedge fund portfolio financing, and specifically the fact that, number one, in a higher rate environment, you, own a, uh, you earn a, a, a rebate on the proceeds of your short sales. Um, and obviously, in a multi-manager context, they're generally market neutral, so they generally have reasonably large short books. Um, you also uh, earn risk-free rate on any unencumbered cash. So if you're using derivatives to gain leverage, um, which is pretty commonplace in some of the other strategies out away from equities that multi-managers will play in, so macro or fixed income RV would be good examples of that, um, you also earn risk-free rate. So there's a sort of natural pass-through uh, of higher risk-free rates to the bottom line in terms of returns. And then the other thing is, we did some uh, some pretty extensive research on this at the start of this year. If you go back in time and you, uh, you plot hedge fund returns against prevailing risk-free rates, um, the evidence that we have suggests that actually higher rates environments have ten- tended to generate uh, substantially higher hedge fund returns in alpha anyway. Um, and we think the reason for that is that in higher rates environments, you generally see uh, higher dispersion of outcomes in security prices. So you, you tend to have a, uh, let, let's say, a, a, a richer opportunity set versus you know what we experienced in the QE era, where clearly interest stock and other intra-asset correlations were reasonably high. And it made life harder for strategies that are focused on you know stock picking or other sort of security selection. So our view is actually when all said and done, higher rates should be a good thing for, for hedge funds as a whole, and they should be a good thing for multi-managers. Um, so assuming that you see that play out in practice, um, then actually our, our assumption is that you know the, the demand for multi-strat or multi-manager or indeed any other hedge fund strategy is probably going to be something that's, that's independent of where rates go, but also um, that hopefully on, on the go forwards, actually, it should be uh, an easier opportunity to have for hedge funds versus, for example, the QE era, where um, I think we, you know, we could pretty credibly argue that it, the, the conditions for, for hedge fund strategies to do well um, actually didn't exist. Um, so, so we're, we're I think, reasonably optimistic on, on the go forward. And I think with that, therefore, um, we're not anticipating that um, hedge fund uh, investors are particularly focused on 
waiting for rate cuts as being the catalyst for doing more in hedge funds or doing doing more in any particular strategy. I'm really glad you've clarified that, actually, because I think uh, very often people can be a little bit guilty of treating it as sort of a, a you know a seesaw of investor demand versus um, risk-free and 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 the value proposition of of alternatives more broadly, sort of without getting into specifics. So um, I think laying that out is a really important uh, caveat to that that conversation, which is very often oversimplified. But as I mean, otherwise, this has been, as Tom says, a really, really useful primer of a topic that we have been talking about all year and you know, well before that as well. And we've been something we've really wanted to talk about in the podcast for a long time. So thank you so much for coming on and giving us this overview. Uh, I know that you have been looking at this yourself in terms of your own research this year, and we will definitely make sure to link to all those resources where we can um, the, the aspects of it that are, are free to read for uh, all listeners. And I encourage everybody to, to take the time to look at that because it adds loads of additional color to everything we've spoken about. But all that is left is to thank you very much for returning once again to The Long Short. Thanks, Drew. Thanks, Tom. The Long Short was brought to you by AMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, the global representative for the alternative investment industry. As always, you can get the latest episodes by subscribing to The Long Short on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Amazon Music, or by streaming episodes directly from our website, AMA.org. Thanks for listening.